0: A friend of mine by the name of Leonard, um, who now attends St. Paul Fellowship, one of our daughter churches, uh, he wrote me. I was sitting at a coffee shop Friday morning, trying to get caught up on email. If you've emailed me in the past, oh, say, six years, I'm a little behind. Sorry, I'm trying to catch up. But, but um, I was sitting there, and it's my wife's birthday, and so I wanted to make something special for her, and I had the whole day planned out, and and uh, I was sitting at this coffee shop, and all of a sudden, boop, up comes an inbox, in and it said, happy anniversary. And I thought, Leonard, what are you talking about? You know, that's, I'm, we're way off. My anniversary is August 13th, in case you hadn't figured that out. Uh, August 13th is the day I got married. What do you mean? And so I opened up the email, and it says, all it said was, uh, just a little note from a former hopester to let you know that I did pay attention. Happy birthday. I thought, be, oh, son of a gun. It wasn't until I sat there that I realized that uh, it was on that day in 1983 that in a shower stall in Frontier Hall that I wrestled through in a period of 45 minutes in this shower, which has great pressure. <laughs> I wrestled through the, quest- the questioning phase I went through the processing phase, if you've ever heard me talk about this whole thing with your journey with hope, and by the time I left that char, I decided to be a follower of Christ. Now, a lot of people, most people can't put it into one 45-minute period, you know, when did you, when did you decide to buy this car? You know, I, it's, it's a period of time, but for me, it literally happened in 45 minutes. I went in there thinking, no way was I coming out. Of a follower of Jesus, and I came out a follower of Jesus, and so uh, one of the things that encourages me about that song is, uh, my freshman year of college, I was going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, and uh, God pursued me, I did not pursue God, I did everything I could to not pursue God, if you're here this morning, you got drugged here by somebody, and you're thinking, oh man, what's this all about, why am I even here? I love Jesus, and I'm not saying that, I'm saying that to say what you are pondering, why you're here, why somebody maybe brought you, is not to get into a religion. I hate religion. It's not to get into a system of rules and rights and do's and don'ts. It's actually to meet the risen Christ. The one last week for Easter, that's cool. That's worth getting up early on a Sunday morning and doing. And so if you're, if you're at that point, I want to invite you here and welcome you. If you're processing, hope is a place where you're just, you're just allowed to process. We don't expect everybody to, to uh, go into a shower and come out, you know, figuring it all out. I mean, that's, it's taken me 23 years since that point to still try to figure some of this stuff out takes a while, and so we want to let you do that if you're here. We want to welcome you. We welcome you to hope. If you're new to us, maybe you don't know us, we're studying the book of John. We took a week off last week because of Easter. We're going to continue in the book of John. If you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. It's been a little while since we've been in John, so I want to give you a real quick uh, real quick background of what we are just immediately been doing. I'm going to open up my Bible here to John chapter 3. When I was in college, I used to think Bibles that were floppy were really cool. So this one, whoo-hoo-hoo, this, call it the drape. This thing just drapes, man. <laughs> um, and I used to think it was cool when dudes do that, too. I know some of you could come from more uh, higher traditions. When you see a guy bend their Bible backwards, like, ha, ah, what's he doing? So I'll try not to do that. Uh, so <clears throat> but anyway... Uh, We're in John chapter 3. Some would argue that John chapter 3 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible, especially if you're first starting your journey. Uh, When I first uh, came on the whole Christian scene, there was a very popular circuit speaker by the name of Josh McDowell. He would come around and speak on campuses, and and, uh, he was actually an atheist who was out to prove that Christianity was not true. He was in law school, I believe, at the time. And he uh, went out to disprove the resurrection. He wrote all kinds of stuff on it, did research like crazy, and end up at the end of it, becoming a Christian. He's written books. One of the most famous is called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You can, I think it's in our library. You can check it out. And it talks about all his evidence that he came about. Anyway, he would always say, anytime he'd speak, he'd say, if you're wondering about the claims of Jesus Christ, or if you have just made a commitment to Jesus Christ, go home tonight and read John 3 three times. I never quite figured out why three times. By the time you got to John chapter 21, you're supposed to read that 21 times. I don't know. But John 3, three times. And it stuck with me. And just how important he thought that was the very beginning. And so I just want to spend a real quick time getting us up to verse 22. The first uh, 21 verses of John 3, Jesus has this conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious ruler of the time. And he comes to Jesus... And he compliments Jesus, which is huge for a religious ruler to compliment someone outside of the training that Jesus didn't have any of that formal training. And he comes to him, and he calls him rabbi, which is an amazing thing all in the beginning, I mean, verse 2. None of this is on the screen, so you just have to kind of follow along. This is just real quick. He uh, says, you're a no, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. That's a huge compliment. He says, because no one could do the things that you're doing unless God were with them. And Jesus looks at him and says, no one enters the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Not love Jesus. I love how he just sometimes throws these things in from complete left field. It's like, uh, we're just talking here, and I just complimented you. You didn't even say thank you. That's okay, I guess. And you just throw this thing in. No one comes in unless he's born again. What? Nicodemus says, Ah, uh, What? What are you talking about? That's paraphrasing him a little bit. He says, ah, how do you you enter into your mother's womb? Excuse me, big spit. Um, uh, Do you enter into your mother's, that's why we took this pew out right here. Uh, Do you enter into your mother's womb a second time? And I can just see Jesus kind of going, oh, no, 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 no. He follows up, he says, I tell the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born of water and of the flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. He says, you're Israel's teacher, and you're surprised by this? You, you teach Israel, he says, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus now, and it just, I love this, this, in verse 9, he's just honest with him, he just says, how can this be? And he goes on to explain it. And he explains it by saying a whole bunch of things. But he says in verse 14, I think, a highlight of, of his, what he's trying to say is, just as Moses was lifted up, excuse me, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And what, and what uh, Jesus is referring to there is Numbers chapter 21, when there was a plague sent on the people of Israel, and order, there was a plague of snakes, and these viper snakes were biting people. And what, they cried out, oh Moses, help us, help us. And God speaks to Moses, he says, Moses, build put on the end of a staff, put, put this big snake and hold it up. And if people take their eyes off of the circumstance of being bit by a snake, come over to where they can see this snake on, on a stick, so to speak. That's probably sell at the state fair. <laughs> then you look at it and you're going to be healed. Now, if you've been bit by a viperous snake, you only got seconds to live, right? Minutes. You've got to make a decision what you're going to do and And he's saying if you bank all of your hope in what God says is true and go over and look at this ridiculous snake, you'll live. Jesus says, just like that, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that everyone who looks at him like that will be be saved, will be healed, will have eternal life, whoever believes. Then the famous quote, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him Excuse me. For God so loved the world, that famous quote that I just butchered. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Same thing as a snake. If you're bit by the snake, you've got minutes to live If you don't look at the snake that Moses provided through God, you will die. You're already dead. that's the same thing he's saying here. If you don't look at the sun, if you don't look at the sun, you're already dead. Okay, that's kind of a summary of where we've been. Now we're going to look at verse 22 this week. I did that because the first two words in verse 22 are uh, after this. What we're going to see this morning is this the last time we're going to see John the Baptist. This is uh, the, 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 the end of John the Baptist's ministry. What I'm calling the fall of John the Baptist ministry. Not that it's bad, it's just the end of it. And I'm actually calling this thing the rise and fall and rise of John the Baptist. That'll make sense, uh, hopefully here. And if it doesn't, just forget that I said it. John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Something happens. Okay, verse 22. After this, after the whole Nicodemus thing happened, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, that's huge. Uh, some, anybody got an old version of the Bible, like a King James or something? Anybody got that here? Nope. Okay, I'll just tell you then you'll believe me. That the word there is, instead of spent some time, it's tarried. It, it, means, it basically means just wasted time. In other words... Not wasted time, but, but what we'd call wasted time, or hung out. Jesus went out and he just hung out with his disciples. And while he was there, he did some baptizing. Actually, we'll find out in John chapter 4 that it wasn't Jesus who did the baptizing, but the disciples. But nevertheless, he just had this time with his disciples and all this is going on. Verse 23, now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem. We have no clue where that is, so it's somewhere. Close, I guess. Uh, the scholars don't know where that is. Anyway, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. That's very important now. So what's happening? John is somewhere else. There's enough water there. Maybe that means year-round or whatever. There's, there's good water supply, enough so that you can dunk people. And there's a constant stream of people. Then he puts, John puts in this real interesting parenthesis here. And it is a parenthesis. It says... This was before John was put in prison. Now, the average person, that would be a no-brainer because, right, it's very difficult to do this when you're in prison. And that's all he's going to say about this prison thing. That's all the book of John talks about prison. That's it. Now, we'll investigate this a little later. What happens to John the Baptist? We'll, we'll find out about that in a little bit. He's just trying to give, give a, a timeline on this. The other Gospels don't say anything about this particular event. There's a period, if you look at Matthew, we'll follow Matthew in a little bit, the other gospel writer. He, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted, and the next thing you know, John the Baptist is put in prison. John, The gospel writer John says, you know what, there's an event that happens before there, let me tell you about it, and this is the event. That's why he puts that there. Okay? Now, So just imagine to see now Jesus is off with his disciples. There's some people coming to him baptizing. John is also doing it. And people are constantly, it says, coming to him. Okay, verse 25. Here's the problem. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Probably what it was is this Jewish person was saying, what in the world is this baptism? I'm guessing now, but what in the world is this baptism thing? That isn't really clean people. What they have to do is follow the the rituals and the the things that we do as Jewish people. And there's this argument going on. And you think that the rest of the passages are going to be about this argument, but it has nothing to do with the argument. Look at verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan... The one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. That's the problem. The problem is not this theological controversy. The theological controversy just somehow brought it up with John's disciples where they said, wait a minute now. I kind of thought we had a corner on the market on the baptizing thing. I thought that was kind of like our thing. This is what marks our ministry. Our, Our big marquee says, John the Baptist... Baptism is in our name. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it says. And so this is kind of our thing. And so you can do the Jesus thing. That's okay, I guess. But we do the baptism thing. We do it really well. We have a lot of water. And if you look at what they say, they say, everyone is going to him. Now, of course, that's an exaggeration because what we just see in the, in the go back one previous verse, it says at the very end there, people were constantly coming to John. So John still had a group of people that were coming to him. There's something happening here that the disciples of John were a little bit uncomfortable with. You remember in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is the rock star, man. He is the rock star of first century. He comes on the scene and it says multitudes come. And these multitudes of people are coming to John the Baptist. And when John sees Jesus, he immediately says, he's the one I'm speaking of. He's the one you're supposed to go after. He even takes some of his own disciples his own followers, and says, follow him. And now it's come up again. Okay, John, we know you said that. That actually sells really good. Like humility, that's good, John. That'll work for our message. We got more people coming. But wait a minute. Jesus now is gaining popularity, and we're not. Everybody's going to him. It's a huge point for John the Baptist. This is a point where you could slip up. I've seen many people slip up at this point. I've seen a lot of guys, I work with church planters. Church planters are humble guys, usually. Not always, usually. And how that first six months go, oftentimes is how they operate for the next five years. That first six months goes really well and they have whatever success means in their minds, two, three, four, five, six, seven hundred people come to their church or whatever. They start defining themselves by that. And when one little bump happens in the church and people go down, then their are identities with it. Listen, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It, it, You've got to be careful with that. You've got to be careful with that. You might be leading a Bible study. There's eight people involved in the Bible study. One night, two people show up. There's something within you that says, I... Uh, just let's be honest now. I don't really care who those people are. My house is just supposed to be filled with people cuz I'm such a great Bible study leader. There's just something about that. And John the Baptist has a huge decision to make here. What is he going to tell his disciple? Is enough enough? I mean, I already did kind of tell him that he was the Christ. He's the most important, but what about my, the rest of my entire ministry? Let's see how John responds. And John responds, John gets an A in his response. I'm going to read it through, and then we're going to kind of take it a little bit at a time. John uh, 3, 27. To this, John replied, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And then one of my favorite verses in the entire book of John. He must increase. I must, or excuse me, he must become greater. I must become less. Great response. Now what saves John. You know what saves John? Good theology saves John. Because I'm sure the rock star in him was thinking, I'm 31. I'm 31. If Jagger can do it till what, 74? <laughs> I can do it at 31. And, and the rock star in John the Baptist are thinking, this is great, being the guy. I like being the guy. It goes through everybody. It's it's part of being human. It is true. What saves him? Good theology. He studied his systematic theology. Number one. Three truths that changed John. Number one, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. John believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed that everything my next breath, my life, my job, my relationships, what food I'm gonna eat, where I'm put on, on this earth, it's all under the control of God. I can only receive what God gives me. To quote Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That is good theology. That concept alone, if you don't get anything else here this morning, that concept alone will save you from a multitude of wrong thinking and wrong decisions the sovereignty of god that god is in control over everything second good second good thing he says is you yourself testify verse 28 that i am not the christ but i'm set ahead of him but i am sent ahead of him many many people whether you're a bible study leader a pastor a missionary or just helping out a friend in the name of jesus have what, what even psychologists call a Messiah complex. Oh, I have to fix them. I have to be the one. I have to be the person who, who you know, they have to come to me to get it. Boy, I, I, got, I got great news here this morning. It's news that I keep telling myself, especially as hope kind of evolves and grows and changes and I don't get to know everybody anymore is, I am just a resource I am just a resource. Jesus Christ is the source. All right? Now, if if we've done our job right, long after I'm pushing daisies, this church will do, in fact, every ministry that I've left has almost doubled within five years. Really, seriously, I wasn't... I came when I was part of the University of Minnesota Navigators. I started with about 30 people. We ended with about three. Uh, Hmm, that was interesting. And uh, it was a weird deal. And then it flourished after I left. I was at Bethlehem Baptist Church, and they went from about 1,200. I left. They're at 4,000. So I don't know, you know, what the Lord's trying to tell me here. But in conversations with people, and you may, you know, let me just give you a little, let me just give you a little heads up. You might give me an email and say, Trike, I need to meet with you. And we sit in my office, and I'll look like I know what I'm, you know, I'm like this. You're talking to me about some issue in your life, and I'm like, you know what? I got nothing. I got nothing. Cor and I say it to each other all the time. I, I got nothing here. I, I, I don't know. That sounds really hard. That's really a difficult situation. If you grab a pencil, too, that works really well. If you take a pencil and just kind of put it in the corner of your mouth, People actually think like you're just pondering things, but basically what it does, is gives you that moment for them to think, you are really, you are really on this. I, I, listen, I've been doing this business for 20 years, and I still, when you come to my office and we talk about anything at all, I don't have a pat answer for you. I don't know. But I do know someone who does know, and that's Christ. So if we're doing our job right, all we are is good, uh, good golden retrievers that do nothing but just... That's not the right kind of dog. What kind of dog is that, you know, the pointy thing and they point at the bird? They just set her pointer? Pointer, yeah, huh. (laughs) That's what a good pastor, a good missionary, a good Bible study leader, they're a pointer to the king. They're not a pointer to themselves. That's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing for people in leadership to understand. I checked myself on that. I checked myself five minutes ago right there. I said, I don't stand up here, Lord. I don't want this to be about me. Let him see right through me. I don't, you. I but I got to check myself on that constantly. Third thing this is great. This is beautiful theology. John really knew his stuff. Look at what he says. Look at the analogy he gives. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John knew that his role and everybody who's involved in any kind of ministry whatsoever, their role is best man, at best, at best. It's best man. Now... I did a wedding here, and somebody here is going to have to tell me who it was, because I can't remember which wedding it was, but there was a wedding. Guys, we used to put the guys on this side, and he's standing back over here, and I asked for the rings. Is that your brother? That was your brother. Good. Yep. I went over to get the rings, and he does the typical... Then he goes... And he gives me the ring. Oh. And I didn't know he had, like, some magician things or something. He actually palmed it. I thought he really harked that thing out. And I... <laughs> I, seriously, I thought he harked those things. And he put them in my hands, and I thought, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, that was funny. <laughs> I like that. That was really good. That's what a best man should do. He, 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 he applauds, and he, he kind of... You know, he does something humorous to show, I think, honor. You know, maybe you were slapped him silly later, Peter. But, but okay. Now that's appropriate. Now let's just say the wedding keeps going on. I'm right here. I'm standing between P- Peter and Becky, and I say, "Now we're going to do the vows." And this guy decides to ha, 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 come over here. Then go. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> what about me? What about me? You know. That, that goes past honoring and humorous to just flat out annoying, right? If it has to be about you, it's not your day. This is not your day. This is, really, Peter, it's not even your day. It's Becky's day. You're just along. You were along for the ride, pal. So, But, I mean, it's their day. And that's a, he says, you know what? My role is best man here. And... Uh, my role is I'm excited for the bridegroom. I'm excited for them, for, the, for the, the couple getting married. And you know what? That's what my role is. Who gets the glory? The bridegroom, or the, the bride. They get the glory. Who gets the joy? He does. If he's got his job right, he gets the joy. That's what he says. He even says clearly. He says, uh, it's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's complete. I am busting up because this was my gig. I got to do my gig and that's what I was designed by God to do was to do that. When I operate out of that and I want to get glory, something happens to me and I don't have joy anymore. The giver gets the glory. The receiver gets the joy. And John the Baptist was very convinced he wanted to be the receiver of something also. There's a great Scottish, I'm tempted to do this, but I won't uh, say it in a Scottish accent. But anyway, he says, uh, James Denny, he was a 19th century guy, he says, you can never at the same time convince people that you are a great preacher and that Jesus is a great savior. Isn't that a great quote? You can never convince them If you're trying to convince people you're a great preacher, you'll lose the fact how great Jesus is. Okay. Then John gives a final answer to them. He gives them a final answer on what about this whole thing? What about his ministry growing and our ministry decreasing? And John 3.30 is the final answer to that. He just simply says this. He must become greater. And not only that, I must become less. I want this whole thing's going to dwindle out. John the Baptist is going to get arrested. We're going to see that in just a minute. John the Baptist is going to get arrested. His whole thing is basically going to fall apart in a very short time. And Jesus is going to take off. I love that phrase. I'd encourage you to memorize that verse. He must become greater, I must become less. Other versions say he must increase, I must decrease. I don't care how you have it memorized. It's a great phrase. Now, I'm teaching a class right now to about, I don't know, 10 pastors or something on preaching. What I'm going to do now, I would slap them for. But we're going to take a bunny trail, just because I can't resist. So you can slap me afterwards. I got time on the clock. We're going to do it. I just, this is just too good. A bunny trail of whatever became of John. So those of you who go to the Bahamas, go there now. I'll call you back when we get back to John. We're going, just for a second, what happened to John? What was he ended up? See, last time we're going to hear of John, He'll, he'll be quoted, I think, once or twice. But, uh, excuse me, he'll, someone will reference him, but we'll never see him again in the book of John. What happened to him? Matthew, we're going to follow Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 11. Here's you see what happens. Starting in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, so... Somehow, John got arrested. We'll find out in Matthew 14 what happened. But somehow, John got arrested and he was in prison. When John found out what Jesus was doing, now this is further down the road than than the account that where, where, where where John just said, John the Baptist just said, he must increase, I must decrease, something else happens. He sends his disciples who are coming to him in prison and he says, ask Jesus... Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? What? John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus, aren't you the one? What? This is John the Baptist. This is the guy. He's got great theology. He's got it all figured out. And yet when he got in prison... He asks a huge question. Jesus, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm here in prison now, and I got to know. I got to know. Are you the one? Look at Jesus' reply to him, to the disciples of John, who are going to go back to speak to John while he's in prison. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blame receives sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, cured. the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. John, I'm the guy. And then he says this, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. It's a little hard to understand that, uh, over me, who does not fall away and stumble over me. John, the Baptist, one of the heroes in the Bible, almost completely stumbles. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go to see out in the desert? A, a reed swayed by the wind? If not, where did you go out, or excuse me, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this was the one about whom it was written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Number one guy. And yet, he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus knows that John the Baptist is going to come But John the Baptist wrestles through a moment, or perhaps it was days, or maybe even weeks, of profound crisis, faith-shaking. That encourages me. I hope it encourages you. This is the man. This is the number one people born of women. Or however you say that. That, that (laughs) He's the guy, and, and he's over there going, I don't know. I don't know. Dude, I have been there. Have you been there? Sometimes it's just for a minute or two, and you get the freak outs. Is this all really true? Is this the matrix? What's oh, really right? I have those moments. John the Baptist had that moment. But he did well. Look what happens in the end. John, or Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetris, this is what happens to uh, this is what happened and happens to John. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his tenants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. Uh, he, he killed John. That is why miraculous powers are working in me, speaking about Jesus, saying, It must be John the Baptist again. Although the age thing, they're like months apart. I don't know. Herod must have had issues. Now Herod had, uh, now he's explaining this, uh, Matthew's explaining it. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So this is typical John the Baptist stuff. There's this king, and he marries his brother's wife, which is not good. He says, you can't do that, that's wrong. So Herod didn't like that, and so he wanted to kill him. But he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, his stepdaughter, danced for them and pleaded Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he ordered that her, grant, her request be granted and that John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to the mother. Now, this is like a big fancy party and there's this yee, yee on a platter. Hmm. Okay, so John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus... And look how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat, by boat privately to a solitary place. That doesn't say what, how he responded. There was a kinship. They were blood relatives, Jesus and John. I believe that John died well. Yes, he had a crisis of faith. But he was, no one, no one born among women is greater than John the Baptist. So much so that when Jesus heard about this, he had to spend some time by himself. End of bunny trail. We're going back to John chapter 3. I want to share that with you, though, because um, sometimes I think we put these, it's okay to put Jesus on any kind of pedestal you want, but, but other, other Bible heroes, sometimes it's great to see their weaknesses, too, Because then you can identify with them greater. Okay, John chapter 3. Now, verse 31 to 36, it's a little confusing because in the original language, there is no quotations. So we don't really know if this is John the Baptist speaking or John the writer of the Gospel of John. In some ways, it doesn't matter because if it really mattered, he would have said. But he didn't say, so I'm not sure which way it is. People argue back and forth. I don't think it really matters. Anyway, here we go. The one who comes from above is above all. Talking about Jesus. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified, has stamped it, has sealed it, that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, For God gives the spirit without limit. Talking all about Jesus here. Who is Jesus Christ? The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Including this. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. You see the, the, the difference there? The difference is Those who choose to accept or believe, same word, right? Because the opposite is reject. Those who reject will not see life. Those who believe and accept will receive life. Not only that, he says, we'll pull you out of that right now. In this point in life, it's not just that you believe something that will change your worldview, but there'll be an actual change of status so that you're alive as opposed to being dead. Ray, Ray Stedman is one of my favorite guys. Unfortunately, he has passed on. He was a, he was a, started a church or helped start a church in its infancy in 1950. He stayed at that church for 40 years. And, <laughs> and, anyway. Uh, just kidding. I have no idea if I'll be Lord will give me that much life or you'll put up with me that long. But he stayed there 40 years, this, this church in California. And uh, I often refer to him just to get insight into scripture and quotes. And I want to quote what he says about this, about this God's wrath. He says, That wrath is the state of affairs that now exists in earth. In the words of the 90th Psalm, we spend our days under his wrath. We do what feels good to us, what we think is right, but we find ourselves continuing to be filled with emptiness, depression, hurt, anger, pain, and death. The wrath of God is upon man because what we are is producing the agony and the hurt of life. We can choose to go on that way all of our life if we want to, or... When we hear of the work, the words and the one and the person of Jesus, we can choose life life that consists of love, joy, and peace. that is the threefold inheritance inheritance of every believer We can have all uh, we can all have those at any moment in any circumstance love, joy, and peace. that is our inheritance in him Now this wrath that's spoken about is god's anger god's anger upon the earth because we have as, as a, a race, humans, and as individuals decided to sin against him, there is an anger, a wrath that is over the earth. That's why things aren't the way they should be. And yet, he says, if you believe in the Son, you'll have eternal life. Have it. And if you don't, you'll just stay in this state. And if you die in that state, you'll stay in that state eternally. Let me ask you a question as we close this morning. Does Jesus Christ have the rightful place in your life? I think that's the point of all of this. Does Jesus Christ have the rightful place in your life, in your work, in your ministry to others? Let me talk to those of you here who are here and you're kind of on the border of whether or not you should trust Christ or not. Maybe you're in that processing phase. Let me ask you a question. What more evidence do you need? What more evidence do you need to place your trust in Christ? Have you ever thought of it that way? What? what write them down. Get alone with, 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 your, with your thoughts and a piece of paper and just say, what do I need to know in order to seal the deal here? And I, I know for me, as I processed that in that 45 minutes, getting very pruney in that shower, I realized there was nothing that I needed to know. Then it came to a matter of my will. Was I willing to do this? I went past the intellectual stuff. Was I willing to do this? And that took me 15 gut-wrenching minutes of no way to a simple little math thing that said, but I want to do this sometime, and if I ever do it, when I do it will be now. So I might as well do it now. Because now is now, and 30 years from now, now will still be now. Okay, it made sense to me at 6 o'clock in the morning, and pruny is all get up. Let me ask those of you who have decided to be followers of Jesus Christ. Have you put Jesus Christ in his rightful place in your life? Do you really believe that whatever you receive from God is a gift? Do you really believe that he's sovereign over all things? Do you really believe that? Do you also really believe that your point is to be a pointer to the king and not the king? And you believe that your ultimate goal is to not receive glory but joy? That theology right there will change your life if you just let Jesus Christ become that in your life and, and stop trying to be him or stop trying to get glory or stop, stop trying to be dissatisfied with what he's given you or hasn't given you. And lastly, I want to talk to those here this morning who are John the Baptist in jail. And right now, you, you maybe have come from a very strong faith. And right now, today, you're saying, Trike, I'm not even sure what's up. Tell John the Baptist, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's Jesus' word to you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we come to you because you're just as alive today as you were that first Easter Sunday. You're alive and you're in this room by your spirit. I pray for each person that's in this room that that phrase from John 3.30 would be true. He must increase. We must decrease. Lord, that each of us would put you in such a place in our life, in a rightful place in our lives, that it would change our lives Constantly. And God, daily we'd fight the fight of getting ourselves off the throne and putting you there. Daily we'd get fight that fight. Perhaps hourly. Letting you be God. Lord, I pray especially for those in this room who are pondering whether or not to believe. Who are pondering this morning whether or not to accept you. Who are tired of rejection. Who are tired of rejecting you. And I pray this morning that you would show them and clearly minister to them on their own timetable not on ours or anything that we want to do, but on your timetable and theirs, God, and you would draw them to yourself. I pray also, Father, for those this morning that feel like John the Baptist in prison. They're faced with a hard situation in their lives and they just really need to know whether you're there. Jesus, I love that you answered the disciples and told them, show him this evidence. Remind him of the truth. Remind him what he saw with his own eyes. And I pray you'd do that with people here. You'd make it clear that you're there, You you, you give them those Ebenezer's in their lives. where They say, you saw me before. You knew I did this. It was me, and I'm here again. I pray that they'd hear that, that their hearts would awaken to that, and they once again could go through life, even if it's a hard thing, like John had to go through beheading. And yet, I'm sure he did it joyfully, knowing that he was the bridegroom, or that he was the, the best man, and you were the bridegroom. So Holy Spirit, I just pray as many as there are people in this room individually, you would just do your work with them. Even as we sing these last songs, we pray in Jesus' name.